There are a few cases that went before the Supreme Court this year that have helped further shape the parameters of our justice system. To explain these cases to us, we're joined now by criminal defense lawyer Sarah Lehman of Sarah Lehman Law Group. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me on. Now, Sarah, the Supreme Court hears only a few criminal cases each year, but why are the outcomes of these cases so significant for all Canadians? Well, anytime the Supreme Court of Canada rules on a pivotal issue, it really has implications for everybody. You know, generally speaking, it is the highest court in our country, and so their word is absolute. Um, Of course, they shape our laws and the way that we interact with our laws. And so it's important to keep our eye on what's coming out of the Supreme Court of Canada each year so that we can understand it. And you've taken a look back at some of the more significant cases from this past year. And one of the cases that you've spoken about is R versus Zora. So what happened in that case? Sure. So R versus Zora is an important case that deals with bail breaches. Now, when people are arrested, oftentimes they're released from custody on bail so that they can continue to live their lives in our community, but under certain conditions. Now, in Zora, there was a situation where this fellow was released on bail under certain conditions. Some of those conditions were that he had to have a curfew and that he had to present himself at the door of his residence if a police officer knocked. Now, he failed to do that a couple of times. And so he went to trial on those breaches, arguing that he didn't actually breach. He was in the house, but he just couldn't hear the officer's knocks. He was convicted and it went up to the Supreme Court of Canada. Now, the big important thing here is that the Supreme Court of Canada said that we have to have a high standard when it comes to convicting people in breach cases. Uh, We have to be satisfied that the person knowingly or recklessly did something in order to breach their bail conditions. And there should be restraint when it comes to deciding these types of cases particularly because people are also presumed innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, I mean, considering that innocent until proven guilty is the foundation of our justice system, it seems surprising that until now, in this type of case, the Crown did not have to establish that the individual was intentionally breaching the conditions of their bail, that they intentionally did not answer that door. Yeah, and so that's always kind of been something that's been up for debate in our criminal justice bar through the years. And there's been lots of lawyers who've taken the position that there has to be some kind of knowing or reckless conduct in order to have a conviction. So it's really great to get some clarity on this from the Supreme Court of Canada. Now, the case of R versus Chung is to some degree one that people in Metro Vancouver may remember. But can you refresh our memories on what happened in that case? Sure. Yeah, this is actually a case that originated right here in Vancouver. It was actually very tragic circumstances. It was a motor vehicle accident uh, that happened back in 2015. The entire incident was captured on a dash cam and Chung was driving a vehicle that was excessively speeding through a very busy intersection. There was a horrible collision and uh, a person actually died in the accident. So it was Uh, really, really quite tragic. Now, uh, the Crown proceeded with dangerous driving charges against Chung, but the trial judge acquitted him, saying that the speeding was just momentary. And so although he was speeding and he committed the act of dangerous driving, he didn't have the mental um, 
will to actually contravene the law. So he lacks the guilty mind or the mens rea, as we call it in law. Now, this, of course, went all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada as well. And the court there uh, said that the trial judge's focus on the momentariness of that criminal behavior was an error and that the proper test to apply here is the reasonable person standard. So whether or not the driving was a marked departure from the normal reasonable standard of care that a reasonable person would have exercised in the same circumstances. So that's a well-established part of our law that was, again, just reiterated by the Supreme Court of Canada. Right. And I think, you know, from a common sense standpoint, it seems pretty obvious to most people that if you decide to engage in a dangerous and unlawful behavior, something that a reasonable person would not do, even if it is just for a few seconds, but your actions result in someone being injured or being killed, then of course you should be held responsible. Yes, exactly. And that was the issue before the court. So I'm very glad that they did take it that way because it does make sense that a person should be held accountable, even if their departure from the norm is just fleeting or momentary. Uh, You have to be able to predict the types of consequences that could occur as a result of your actions. So it's important that the Supreme Court of Canada highlighted that for us again. What kind of impact could that case, that ruling have on future dangerous driving cases? Well, I think that it just, again, reiterates that standard of care that has to be applied in these types of cases. And it's important for us to know that, again, any type of uh, departure from the standard, even if it's just fleeting, is still a departure from the standard that could garner a criminal conviction. And that's particularly important in driving cases where everything tends to happen really quickly. People are traveling at high speeds. um, Things happen within seconds before we even know it. So it's important for us to, again, have that standard reiterated. We know what the standard is, and it gives a lot of clarity moving forward, particularly for lawyers in the future. Another case that you highlighted is R versus Ahmed. So what happened in this case? This case is one that deals with entrapment, and a lot of people uh, love to use the word entrapment or to reference the concept of entrapment. Um, It is something that's a part of our popular culture lexicon. So here, the Supreme Court of Canada considered entrapment in drug trafficking operations. Uh, There was um, a situation where police had been tipped off about a particular telephone number that had been associated to drug-related offenses. And so the police decided to investigate that tip. And in doing so, they called the phone number and basically placed an order for drugs over the telephone. Uh, This resulted in charges being laid against a couple of different people, um, and they ultimately went to trial. Now, again, uh, at their trial, they argued entrapment, and this went to the Supreme Court of Canada to decide what entrapment looks like in cases where there's no physical location, but instead a virtual or digital location like a telephone number. So this is an important case because we have increasing interaction with the digital world as things are going online more and more. Uh, It's very interesting to see how the Supreme Court of Canada applies these old legal tests that have been around for decades or centuries with new technology. Uh, So essentially, they said that the test is about the same, uh, but there does have to be some consideration to privacy interests in virtual spaces that wouldn't really be there uh, in physical spaces as well.
Yeah, it is really interesting because like you said, you know, entrapment is something that we hear so much about in TV shows. You hear it used all the time, but you know, in a, in a real, you know, not in the TV world, but in the real world, how exactly in Canadian law do we define what entrapment really is? Well, essentially, entrapment is where a police officer uh, causes a person to commit an offense that they wouldn't have done but for that officer's actions. So, for example, I often hear people saying, oh, you know, the officer uh, pulled me over uh, and pulled me over and asked me questions about whether I had been drinking or not. And this results in impaired driving charges. They might say, well, the officer entrapped me. That's not the case. Uh, Entrapment is where the officer actually does something positive to cause that person to engage in a course of actions they otherwise would not have engaged in. So in this case, the court said that it's where an officer makes an offer to a person to commit an offense that can simply be answered by using the word yes or no. And we're continuing our conversation with criminal defense lawyer Sarah Lehman of Sarah Lehman Law Group, talking about some of the most significant criminal cases that went before the Supreme Court this year, rulings that will shape the future of our legal system. And Sarah, we should note as well that a face well known to the Supreme Court passed away this year. Earlier this month, Joe Arve, who is remembered as being one of the most important constitutional lawyers in this country passed away. He fought some very significant cases. Yes, absolutely. And I had the pleasure of meeting Joe Arve a couple of times um, during my career here in Vancouver. Um, And he was just a very wonderful man, Um, not just a brilliant lawyer, but also a very nice, kind and wonderful person. Uh, But he certainly did have a huge, huge impact on um, our legal system, on our charter rights. And he's affected the lives of all Canadians, whether they know it or not, actually, because of the huge cases that he argued uh, with wide-ranging implications. Yeah, let's talk about some of those cases. Sure. So, I mean, one of the cases that has uh, quite a connection to Vancouver uh, has to do with safe injections and safe injection sites. Um, And it was all around, you know, the downtown east side uh, and Insight, actually, was um, one of the main uh, uh, people or rather legal entities uh, that was before the court uh, battling to stay open uh, in order to continue uh, allowing uh, for safe injection uh, to happen in downtown uh, Vancouver. Uh, So that was a very, very important case uh, that he argued. Uh, More recently, uh, he argued cases around assisted death. So he worked with the BC Civil Liberties Association uh, to argue uh, cases around um, a person's uh, ability to legally and safely end their life using uh, medical assistance. Uh, he also argued a great deal for sex workers, um, arguing that uh, they do have a right to work safely and that sex work is work. Um, so that has been very, very important as well with wide-reaching implications. So really, the biggest theme around, uh, I think, Uh, Mr. Arve's work and his life work that he's left behind has to do with bodily autonomy and individual integrity in their people's abilities to make decisions about themselves, their lives and their own bodies. That's a great way to sum it up, you know, especially when you consider that he was on such a significant case in our country, which is to help institute change to Canada's laws on same-sex marriage. Yes, that's another one. I mean, that's the thing about Joseph Arve. We can't even summarize all of the work that he did uh, in, you know, any less than, I would say, a few 
days. <laughs> I think that there probably could be a university course taught on his career and the implications that he's had um, when it comes to uh, Canadian law. Well, you know, we've been speaking about how important rulings by the Supreme Court are and how they shape our legal system moving forward. But this is a great example that it's important to remember that it's lawyers like Joe who are behind that change. Absolutely. And if those lawyers aren't out there doing that important work, then nothing really does change. So Joe Arbe's career really does serve as an absolute inspiration for anybody who's practicing in the area of law or anybody who has any aspirations to do so. I mean, lawyers always get this bad rap uh, in um, popular culture as being, (laughs) you know, these money-grubbing people who just get in the way. But it is lawyers who shape the way that our rights look, who shape the way that our laws look, and they're doing the important work on the ground. Sarah Lehman, thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you so much for having me on, and Happy New Year. Welcome back to The Jill Bennett Show. I am your guest host today, Nikki Wright-Meyer. What are your New Year's resolutions? Or are you making any New Year's resolutions? If you are, do you plan on exercising more, eating healthier, saving more money? Well, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation has some New Year's resolutions of their own. And joining us now to talk more about it is Chris Sims, the British Columbia Director of the Canadian Taxpayer Federation. Hi, Chris. How you doing? Fabulous. So nice to be speaking with you. Happy almost New Year. Yes, happy almost New Year. And <laughs> you have some resolutions for the New Year that really are more resolutions that you'd like to see the government make in 2021. Yes, exactly. I've got my bullhorn out and I am very gently but loudly telling them that they need to shape up on a few things here. Um, I think most of us are happy to be seeing the end of the year 2020. Uh, so a few suggestions for the government, um, maybe begging and pleading with them for the year 2021. We figure it would be better if, for example, uh, they balance the budget as soon as possible. Uh, we know that they had to spend money. We know they had to run a deficit. We're being reasonable. Uh, it was an emergency. But going forward, they really need to be careful and only spend on what they absolutely need maybe not on the shiny things that people might want. So get that ba- that budget back into balance as they had it uh, before COVID-19 hit. So that would be very good to see. Immediately, we want to see ICBC uh, rebate the drivers uh, the money that they owe them. Uh, other drivers in other parts of Canada got hundreds of dollars rebated to them back in the springtime. Remember when we couldn't drive to work and there were fewer cars on the road, so there were fewer crashes? So insurance companies from across Canada saved a whole bunch of money. There, they rebated their customers right away, in some cases without even being asked. The money just arrived in the mail or in their bank accounts. ICBC uh, hasn't rebated us a nickel. And so we want to see those rebates be given to drivers right away. Uh, On average, it's around, right? I was going to say that was actually number one, number one on your list of resolutions. Exactly. On average, it's actually a decent amount of money. It's like 250 bucks. They should have given that out before Christmas. And now they're telling us, well, they need to wait till spring. So we don't think that's fair. Uh, We want that money right away because it's driver's money. People were locked in their homes. They couldn't drive. So we think that should need to be given right away. Um, The third one is our BC carbon tax. Uh, Premier Horgan did the right thing back in the springtime. He canceled the automatic increase to the BC carbon tax. He did that while Prime Minister Justin Trudeau jacked his up. He was tone deaf and not listening to people, whereas Premier Horgan, he seems to get it that this is unaffordable and expensive. 
So he boosted the rebate for once that actually affected average working people, and he canceled the increase. So we think that's an indicator that he knows the BC carbon tax is unaffordable. And especially now as people are struggling to get back on their feet and get back out there and get back to work, heat their homes, pay that bill, we want to see him get rid of it altogether. So we're urging him to get rid of the BC carbon tax altogether. And the last two have to do with accountability. Now, we don't care if you vote NDP, Conservative, BC Liberal, you know, flying monkey party. You need to be accountable for what you're doing with taxpayers' money and your actions while within government. And so we want to see the BC government strengthen the office of the Municipal Auditor General. And we want to see that happen because so much money and so much power flows through our city halls nowadays. And it's everywhere. It's Vancouver to Vanderhoof. Uh, And we get calls all the time from people saying, yeah, there was this spending here or this person was hired and it looks really fishy. We need an office in B.C. where whistleblowers can call and can be heard. So we want to see them strengthen the office of the Municipal Auditor General. And then lastly, in Victoria, one of the last things that outgoing Speaker Daryl Plekis had recommended was more accountability and transparency at the legislature. And in that vein, we agree with him. And we want to see, for example, freedom of information law, FOI access, applied to the office of the Speaker, the Sergeant-at-Arms, and now famously, the Clerk of the legislature. Because right now, we can't. Uh, They're now finally posting their travel expenses for the first time ever. It's all taxpayers' money. But if one of us, as a, either an activist myself or a journalist yourself, files a freedom of information request to find out what's going on with the books, we don't get to know. And that needs to change. We need more accountability and transparency. So that rounds out our top five and our hopes for the 2021 new year. So number one, deliver ICBC rebates. Number two, cancel the carbon tax. Number three, balance the budget as soon as possible. Four, strengthen the office of the municipal municipal auditor general. And five, require all the BC legislature to be subject to freedom of information law. I imagine that our listeners also have some resolutions for the Horgan government that they would like to see come into effect in 2021. So if you have a resolution that you'd like to see John Horgan make in the new year, give us a call. Six 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898. 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898. Not what is your resolution, but what is your resolution for John Horgan? What do you hope he changes coming up in the new year? Chris, as we are looking back on this past year as well, since we are so close to New Year's Eve, what are some instances of outrageous spending that comes to mind from this past year? Great question. And these reports have come in from all different people. They are often coming in from whistleblowers or a really good digging journalist. So, for example, uh, your team there at CKW and Global, Jordan Armstrong, discovered that Vancouver City Hall was blowing more than $300,000 on deluxe office furniture in the middle of the pandemic. They were spending this amount of money on something called Herman Miller chairs. Now, for most of us, most of us have never heard of Herman Miller, but he's a super fancy designer of office furniture. And they went and blew this money, even though we were in the middle of the pandemic. And it was uh, your team, uh, Jordan Armstrong, that discovered it and watched them roll these chairs off of the truck. Just one of these office chairs cost $1,500. So that's super tone deaf. They shouldn't have done that. That was bad spending. 
then we saw a whistleblower at the public health agency here in British Columbia allege that more than $30,000 in catered lunches, things like avocado toast, you know, steak sandwiches, um, salads that I can't pronounce, they're so fancy, uh, was being catered in to these big wigs at public health who are already making more than $300,000 a year in some cases, all taxpayers' dime. And on top of that terrible spending of catered dinners and lunches in the middle of a lockdown and a pandemic when most of us were scared for our own jobs, they allegedly also spent millions of dollars on masks that didn't work. So this is the kind of stuff where we need auditors and teams of people taking a hard look at these things. Those are two examples of huge wastes of taxpayers' money, and it hurts people when they see this. Not only does it waste money, it erodes trust in government and public institutions. So those are the two big ones that really jumped out at us this year, and on top of the clerk story but that was from last year. Chris Sims, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care, and Happy New Year, everybody. Now that's a song that makes you want to work out, right? Well, exercising, of course, one of the most common New Year's resolutions. In fact, I was reading that those who make New Year's resolutions in that group, 50% said that their top resolution was to exercise more. So we know how popular a resolution it is. But tackling that resolution during a pandemic may be a little bit more tricky. So joining us to discuss is Sarah Hodgson, president of CEO, president and CEO of Live Well Exercise Clinic. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Hi, great, great to have you. Uh, great to be on today. Thank you. How have you seen the pandemic impact people's health habits? And I know that this has been in some mm-hmm. cases, you know, for better, but some uh, for worse. It really does vary person to person. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that the the fitness industry here in BC, we have been really committed to um, really helping people to just stick with, again, those fundamental habits that maybe people already had coming into this pandemic. And for many people, this gave them the time to actually start to exercise, start to think about fitness. Um, and for other people, it, it made them more sedentary. And so um, as a fitness industry, re- we really had to kind of look at how can we um, accommodate all, all different people at all different stages and all different ages um, to, to be active. And specifically for, for us at, at LiveWell, we, we work with people who have health concerns and our, our typical member is over the age of 40. And, um, you know, we actually know that during this pandemic, older aged adults um, actually stuck with fitness. They are one of the the generations of people who they really stuck with fitness and and stayed committed. And I think that there's a lot of really good science and reasons for that, which ultimately comes down to their personal purpose and why for actually choosing fitness and choosing to exercise is, is choosing health. Right. And, and it's about something much more than, say, six pack abs or how many push ups we can do or even running a marathon as fast as we can. And there's no problem with those goals. But when we actually have something that is deep rooted and intrinsic and, and almost strikes an emotional chord in us, we are far more likely to stay committed to that. And therefore, when there are those hard days, when there are curveballs thrown at us like a global pandemic, we are more likely to stick with our exercise routine. 
Yeah, I think a lot of us gave up on six-pack abs a long time ago. But, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, I consider that it is important to get exercise on a regular basis because I know that it's important for a lot of unseen things, right? Preventative Mm -hmm. for certain diseases. It's good for mental health as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we we saw this past year that, um, you know, mental health became a huge conversation. Um, and um, for for us in the fitness industry, of course, we know that physical fitness um, has a huge impact on on mental health and that literally in as little as 10 minutes of activity, in as little as 10 minutes of movement, and I'm not talking about running as fast as you can on the treadmill, I'm talking about walking, I'm talking about even low-intensity fitness, we know that we actually change the chemistry and physiology of our brain and we can actually combat things like depression, stress, or anxiety. And I think it's really important for us to know that in large-scale clinical trials, um, exercise has shown to be just as effective as antidepressant medication. So in this whole conversation of mental health, I know for us, um, um, I'm the co-chair with Carl Ulmer from um, Club 16 and She's Fit. Um, We have come together to bring together over 100 fitness facilities in in BC for us to really come together as an industry to um, come alongside one one another to support each other. This has been a very tough time on on the fitness industry and the fitness industry is truly here to have our doors open so that people can come in, be physically fit and um, exercise for their mental health. And, you know, we have continued to keep British Columbians safe in in our fitness facilities. And I think it's something for us to to really celebrate here in British Columbia is the very, very low level of transmission rate. I mean, globally, we're seeing a 0.06% rate of COVID cases within within fitness facilities. And and BC is is a leader in that. And so I think that we, um, we should be really proud of what we've done here in BC and that we have been able to keep our doors open so people can be fit and can prepare for the new year and can combat those things like depression, stress and anxiety in a real and meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the impacts that the pandemic has had on the gym and fitness industry, mm-hmm. I mean, January typically is a month where it is quite profitable to be in the fitness industry. It's a good, yeah. it's a good financial time for the fitness industry when everyone's making those New Year's resolutions. How mm-hmm. do you think that you, even your operation will be impacted by the pandemic? Yeah, um, you know, at at LiveWell specifically, we really wanted to um, look at how can we meet our members where they're at through all stages of this pandemic and through all stages of, of you know, where an individual was feeling their own comfort level with this. So, you know, we created on demand so, you know, people could do online. We also created live streaming where people can actually stream in and and work with their with their clinician with their team and with their health coach um, and then you know um, when we have been allowed to have our doors open um, our members have been able to come in clinic and what we have found is that it has allowed people to actually make those habits a little bit stickier because they have all of these different ways now that they can engage in fitness that they didn't consider before, right? I think that if we had introduced live streaming and on-demand to our population a year ago outside of this pandemic, it's not something that would have stuck. But because it was at some times the only option to us, it has now opened the doors to when I'm on vacation, when I'm, you know, um, 
out taking care of my grandkids and staying at, at my, you know, my grandkids for a week, I can continue to be fit because I can go online, I can live stream. But I really, I know, I see, and I believe that people are craving that human connection. And I see it in our clinics because when members live stream in, and there was a member in our clinic, and I just saw this the other day, where a member ran up to the, the screen where people are zooming in and said, oh my gosh, Susan, it's so nice to see you. I haven't seen your face in ages. I can't wait to see you back in here in person. And I think that as much as we have had all of this, this fundamental engagement online, virtually and so forth, that absolutely had to happen in 2021, our human spirit is craving human connection. And that is where I know that in, in, in 2021, fitness is the comeback kid. People are already starting to make a wave of going, how can I get in, get, be physically fit? I know that it's a safe environment. I want to be where there are other people, even though we're physically distanced and not doing things together, I need that human connection. And ultimately, it is where we find community and where we find empathy and where we find belonging is where we actually start this cycle of consistency and accountability. And those are the things that keep us engaged in fitness. So I'm really excited about 2021 for the fitness industry um, in BC and in Canada because I think that what we can provide Canadians is exactly what people are looking for. And that is a meaningful fitness opportunity um, with human connection and with community. And what I've seen happen across this nation as part of the Fitness Industry Council of Canada, where we've all come together, um, is absolutely an industry who cares about the health of their members. And I'm really, really proud to be part of that movement. Sarah, before I let you go, do you have any uh, quick advice for a, an exercise or two that's simple that yeah. people can do at home that they could try to kick off a healthier January? Yeah, I think that, you know, my biggest tip would be, first of all, you're not alone. There are so many people in the same boat as you. Um, and so um, start low, move slow. Um, you know, this isn't an all or nothing type um, type of a journey. Um, really stop looking for quick fixes. Stop looking for those solutions out there that might f work for you and, and turn inwards and know that ultimately you are the solution and it's us who have to put the work in. And this is part of self-care. And I think that self-care has never been more of a conversation than it is today. And self-care starts with us. And that doesn't mean it doesn't have hard, hard work attached to it sometimes, but ultimately knowing that as little as 10 minutes of activity can have an impact on your health and that exercise has a dose response relationship. The more you do, the more benefits that you see. But ultimately, I think that it's about really committing to yourself, committing for the long term and focusing on the behaviors on a daily basis, not on the outcomes, not on what the scale says, not on how many push-ups you can do, but on your behaviors. Did you make a healthy lunch today? Did you get in your activity, whether it was 10 minutes, 15 minutes or an hour, it doesn't matter. Celebrate your habits, not the outcomes. 
Habits will breed the outcomes, but celebrate the habits because that's what we have control over. And when we celebrate ourselves, we're actually putting ourselves on a path of success. And lastly, give up the all or nothing thinking. We absolutely have to abandon it. It causes us to fizzle out and quit. So just really every single day, just going at it and celebrating the things that you did well. And honestly, that is the best advice that I can give somebody who is embarking in 2021, who's looking to move from sedentary to active in order to improve their health. You know you're not alone. Give up your all or nothing thinking and focus and celebrate those behaviors you do that are great behaviors on a daily basis. Sarah, that is fantastic advice. Thank you so much. Thank you.